Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop. Alongside me as always, Shelby King. And we have a special guest with us here today that we had teased on a previous episode. We'd said it before. Uh, fan favorite from a previous podcast, Dr. Greg Sterick joining us once again. Hey, good to be here. Greg, so um, for listeners that are hearing you for the very first time, you are a data scientist, correct? Yes, I am. So... For publishers, kind of the, I would say it's more of a, it, it, the, kind of the founding of publishing really comes, I would say, from creative individuals. And so we, I'm sure we have a lot of people that would consider themselves creative listening to this podcast. So why should they not tune out almost immediately now that they're hearing that we have a data scientist on as a guest? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I, I think um, data is fun. Um, you can spend you're not a, you're not winning them over. Greg. <laughs> you can spend a lot of time on your site, you know, worrying about like the aesthetics and you know what um, you know makes a high quality site good content. Um, but like data is the story of the way that users and people interact with the site. Um, so it, it can actually like augment that you know the things that you like about the site and actually show you like what other people like about it, your users, and then you can actually use that information to like make it better for them. It's interesting that you uh, kind of put it as it like it's. I guess it's just the difference in the way that different um, uh, people look at information, or I guess just the way that different brains work. Because you mentioned the idea of like data tells a story, right? And I think all creative people are, you know, when you think about successful publishers, that's essentially what they're doing, right? Whether it's a short story, a long one, you know, um, engaging an audience is really the art of telling this story. And it's interesting that you think of, you know, data is a way of being able to tell a story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, you know, it is numbers, but like those numbers come from a place of, you know, things like, you know, time on site and, um, you know, where users are moving the mouse and everything. Like there's all this data and information actually like on every single page view that can, you know, really highlight like how people are interacting and the way that, you know, their behaviors and all these kinds of really cool stuff. And this is something that came up on a recent episode, right, Shelby? We were talking about how publishers talked about how they weren't using enough data, right? Right. So if data is a story, then you just kind of need to know how to read it. That's true. And so I guess, Greg, you look at thousands of sites, right? Yes. Yeah. So from day one, I guess what is, I, I'm really interested because this is something that I don't know, we've talked about this before, but you know, what is something that's, that's maybe stood out to you since day one? So before you were looking at website data, you were looking at like biological data, right? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, studying cardiac arrhythmias and doing electrophysiology and um, basically electrocuting heart cells and um, trying to learn what caused like heart attacks and heart failure. So uh, looking at website data, I would guess, is probably a lot different than that. Uh, you know, similarities and differences, you know. <laughs> so I guess you, know, you probably come into something like that with some preconceived ideas about, like, what you're going to see or, or I, 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 honestly, I don't know. But um, what's, what surprised you or stood out in the data whenever you first started kind of looking at um, sort of these, these kind of, like, across thousands of websites, all these different kind of levers moving up and down? Uh, yeah, so I think um, the... The first thing that really kind of popped out at me that still kind of strikes me today is um, just looking at like the flow of traffic and sort of how that changes with, you know, the time of day or the day of the week or whatever. Um, so we have these like TV monitors up in the office, um, all over the office that show sort of traffic throughout the day. Um, and you can see this like swell at midday and then it tapers off as we move into nighttime. Um, and like that's that's kind of cool that, you know, it kind of makes sense. But then when you actually break that down into every different website that um, you know, we have the data for, you can see like, 
you know, educational websites where the traffic surges at like 7 p.m. on school nights and then there's <laughs> nobody on the site on the weekend or, um, you know, like sports websites where like a college football website that'll have a ton of traffic that comes in on Saturday and Sunday and then it kind of disappears during the week. Um, so there's just all of this like really unique, um, you know, sort of behavior of users on these sites that then you, when you actually like aggregate all of that diversity together, then you just sort of see this like, people are awake during the day and sleeping at night. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that I guess one of the things uh, I've heard you talk about before in, in, in other subjects is just kind of this idea of like, you know, you have kind of like this macro version of data, which I think people are always really interested in is like, when you look at everybody, what do you see? But really, like kind of you mentioned, you know, for individuals, when the stuff that's really important is whenever you start looking at things more granularly. Would you say that's accurate? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, as like an, you know, as a individual, like, like a, as a digital publisher, um, it's, you know, there's, there is this sort of like macro trend of, yeah, people are awake during the day and asleep at night, but that may not be the case for your site too. So you kind of have to, um, you know, understand your users to actually like get any information out of, you know, whether that's actually valuable for you or not. And Shelby and I talk a lot on this show specifically about, you know, trends and different things that come up. I'm trying to think, Shelby, what are some things that we've talked about here recently that have changed or uh, just kind of different topics that we've had on the show? Uh, recently, we've been talking a lot about video and podcasts, um, social media, different sources of traffic, if any of those are yeah, kind of ringing a bell. Yeah, and those things all, like all those things are like new kinds of things that are emerging or the way that they're operating on the digital um, uh, landscape is changing. And so I, I'm, I'm curious with, with kind of the fast pace of this space in general, um, how have you seen things maybe shift in the past few years from a data perspective or even just like uh, just trends, something that maybe was one way and now is a different way? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I've been here for two and a half, three years now. And in that time, we've seen um, some like really major things come through in like in the online world, like through regulation, um, like net neutrality comes to mind. Um, and then also GDPR was a huge thing just this year. Um, so, you know, like as a data scientist, GDPR was kind of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, what are we going to do? Is, like, it, is it the data science Armageddon? It's, it was It was like, yeah, I mean, it really was, yeah, like, you know, kind of once GDPR hit, it's like, what are we going it to, it's it, like that movie in the movies when you like walk out and it's like after the apocalypse and you like look around and like everything is just like sort of smoking and you have to kind of figure out the new world. It sounds like it was your Y2K. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. So, uh, I guess from those regulatory things, which shall we, we've probably talked a lot on the show about GDPR, right? Yeah, we actually just talked about GDPR last episode and how I think it was a thousand news US news sites still aren't available in Europe. Yeah, so I mean still a lot of sites blocking um, European traffic basically because they don't want to deal with it. And then you have like regulators in those those places basically saying like, well, we're kind of waiting for somebody to get caught to figure out what, what we can and can't do. Um, what, have, what have we seen from a, uh, a data, data perspective? Has anything really changed? Uh, so it was, you know, kind of this, uh, you know, like we said, it's sort of the, the apocalypse where we're losing all of this, like, really, really, really hyper granular data on, like, you know, on individual users. So that will probably change the way ad spend goes was, um, you know, like a pretty logical um, hypothesis. Like, well, maybe advertisers are going to pull out of Europe a little bit and those those we should see a drop in CPMs. And initially there was sort of this stall, but like now what's kind of blows my mind is it's actually like up year over year. Um, so 
that doesn't totally make sense, but it's still just like a kind of think a testament to like the way that ad dollars are kind of going now is, you know, they're getting pulled probably from like old media and into this new, um, you know, into the new space. They're catching up with the eyeballs. So you mentioned kind of, you know, record year over year and uh, our listeners, uh, I'm sure there's a really great overlap between the folks that listen to our podcast and those that are frequent visitors of the Ad Revenue Index. And so uh, I'm sure our listeners would be happy to hear that you are the godfather or just, I guess, the father of the Ad Revenue Index, correct? That is, uh, that's one of my babies, yes. So uh, maybe, you know, like since we've got this kind of like record setting day that just happened, Black Friday. Um, I'm really interested to hear you maybe give some context to this kind of like record that was set on Black Friday in the uh, ad revenue index and just how much of a record it was. It's pretty, It's. I mean, it looks like it, it kind of dwarfs a lot of the previous uh, record days we've had. Yeah, um, so it's, it's kind of a, uh, my Black Friday tradition is um, responding to emails from people at Ezoic that say, hey, the ad revenue index is at 100, did you screw it up? Um, and so um, this year, because it was such a big, it was a big 100. Yeah. Um, you know, what happens on the index is we, we set the max value to 100. So then it shrinks all of the old ones down by the scale that um, the new number comes in at. So um, this year, it's a huge 100, but also it's that's also because we were already so far up this year. Like we're seeing, we were seeing high spending in October and November already. Um, high ad rates just basically all throughout 2018. So um, everything, you know, from 2016, 2017 looks that much smaller just because there was this, a pretty similar in magnitude increase. Like it was like a 20 to 30% yeah. increase. Um, but given that we were already up 20 to 30%, like now 2017 just looks like puny. So it's, it's, it's really fascinating how much ad rates have uh, gone up. Um, just, I mean, it, this year, I mean, we saw it in 2016 over 2015. Um, but I, I, you know, it's funny because there, there still is this kind of weird narrative, and I, I'm, I'm really don't know. I talked to someone from the Chicago Sun Times earlier this week, and um, they asked me, "Where do you think this narrative that display ad revenue is going away or declining is coming from?" And I think part of it's created from maybe publishers that don't aren't able to do direct deals with advertisers anymore. Um, but programmatically, uh, I can't imagine that there's anyone out there that with any kind with any kind of um, soapbox to stand on. Um, touting that ad rates are going down. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I hear the narrative too all the time, and I have no idea where it comes from. I think that's a pretty good guess. I think also there's probably something where, like, you know, it's like Yelp reviews. Like when something's going really bad, you're gonna like, oh, I had the worst experience at this restaurant. I'm gonna just give them one star <laughs> and tell them all about it. So it's like, okay, my 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 ad rates are down. Digital, you know, digital spending is down, um, and but that's just because you only know your own site you don't know what's going on across the entire industry yeah, so there's probably just sort of anecdotal evidence <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's part of the reason why we have the ad revenue index right so we can start to see that stuff across yeah i think it's a, it's a super like valuable tool because you don't have to just like go off of hearsay now you have like this eagle eye view of the um the whole ad ecosystem and so shelby if you remember last week we had talked uh, a little bit about data and, and publishers saying that you know they didn't have enough or they weren't using it properly do you remember what the majority of people had said uh in that study about data was it the majority said that they had the data and they weren't using it or they felt like they didn't have enough data i can't remember oh so um it was almost 70 percent of digital publishers 
use data, but out of those who do not use any data or collect any data, 25% felt like they didn't know what to do with it and they felt like they didn't have the tools to even get started. And I think our point on that was there is the the tools exist and it doesn't have to be all that hard, but I think, you know, those the those that are saying, you know, they don't know what to do with it. I think some of those are maybe being more honest than some of the other ones because uh, from that standpoint, Greg, I know, you know, something we've talked about offline before is, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions that people have about whether it's data science or just website data in general. What are what are some um, what are some things that you that seems to drive you crazy that people think that they understand about data that maybe they they don't or they get wrong a lot of times? Yeah, I think, um, you know, something that really does drive me crazy is, you know, people digital publishers want to use, you know, want to turn this like website into a business or like make it like a, an actual business, but then they use metrics that like are probably not a good business metric. Um, so what a lot of publishers will want to do is just chase CPM or, um, you know, maximize like the revenue on that first page view. So they'll dump a ton of ads on. And then what the effect of that is like, yes, you are going to get a very high revenue on that one page view, but you're going to scare away your visitor and they're not going to want to come back. And so the way that I sort of think about that is like, you know, what type of business are you trying to generate here? Like if you're trying to sell a car, you are only going to see that customer once in 10 years. So you want to like maximize the, the value of that, that car sale. Um, but if you actually like want your visitors to come back, you, you kind of need to think longer term, like across the session and even like, you know, across multiple sessions to, to maximize the lifetime value of that, that customer. So. So metrics like CPM, although they are informative and can, and can be very good, um, chasing that one metric is like not necessarily the best like business metric to really think about in terms of like long-term value of your site. And so one of the things we hear about a lot, I think, you know, you probably see a lot of publishers on the ad operation side always talking about CPMs because it's the value of a single ad placement. And, you know, you would think, oh, if I can increase the value of my CPMs, uh, then I'm going to have make more money overall, and I think you know your point to that is uh, not necessarily. But I think one of the things that we see a lot of times uh, outside of the ad ops world, when you think about you know independent publishers or even just you know someone that's an executive at a larger publishing firm, you, you hear a lot about RPMs, right? And so RPMs are total page revenue. So what's wrong about optimizing for um, an RPM, which is you know the amount of money that you make from all the CPMs on a page? Yeah, I mean, so that's that's kind of that like that first page view. You know, you can you can maximize RPM, where um, I can throw twelve ads on the page and it'll that'll go great. Um, but the likelihood that I'm going to stick around and go to the second page, um, there's a lot of options out there. I've probably found your site through Google, and there were ten other options on that page or nine other options on on that first you know that page of Google. And it's gonna you know if that's gonna slow the page down or just be aesthetically on you know ugly or, um, you know, I may just kind of, you know, not like it, I could bounce right out. Um, and that's not, you know, really that metric of like, that I, I would, that I would want to like, um, grow with, you know, and grow my business with is, um, I think it can be pretty short sighted. You want that second page view, the third page view, and you want that, that full session. And I think, you know, that's, I, that's one of the things you always talk about. And I know you teach a lot of the members of your team, which is essentially that, um, you can increase your RPMs and total revenue can go down. And, you know, one of the things that um, I, I know it probably drives you crazy, but people always talk about RPMs and CPMs, right? So 
Um, if those things are driving you crazy, uh, what should they be doing instead? What should they be looking at? Yeah, I, the, the, the real metric is EPMV, um, which is yeah, the earnings per thousand visits. <laughs> um, so it's, it's basically the sum of the CPMs across the session. So you can optimize for CPM and try to chase the highest CPM. Um, but again, you, that can be a little bit short-sighted. Um, really, you want to think about the total value of that visit, of the entire visit, because once you've got them sort of in the store, you want them to like, you know, spend some time there, browse around, um, because the longer that they're there, um, you know, the better it is for the publisher. So if we have you know, 100,000 visitors um, and we increase CPMs, um, it's not necessarily indicative of the fact that we would make more money on those thousand, 100,000 visitors. Uh, same thing with RPMs, but EPMV, if your EPMV goes up um, for the same number of visitors, you're for sure going to make more money, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can't say that for CPMs or RPMs. Exactly. exactly. And so that's why uh, we've talked about on the show, Shelby, our publishers by this point have heard us probably talk about EPMV till we're blue in the face, right? Right. And so uh, I would guess that uh, it's probably something hopefully that you're familiar with, but if not, uh, straight from the mouth of a data scientist. Um, so I guess uh, one last thing that I just have a question about for you, Greg, as it relates to data science. Uh, there is a story that I want to get into with you, but um, what, what is something else that, that drives you crazy in digital publishing? Um, just from you know, kind of looking at it from your side of the fence, um, I know we talked about EPMV and kind of the wrong metrics. Is there anything else that drives you crazy? One thing that will kind of does drive me crazy is, um, you know, in, the internet has like connected us all, but you know, for digital publishers, um, because we kind of are, you know, we know our site best, um, we don't really know what's going on across the industry, right? So um, sometimes what publishers will do is something like, well, I made this change on my site and I saw traffic go way up. So clearly this change that I made is linked to something with Google, and this is the key to all SEO. Um, while, while that may be true, that is not a scientific experiment at all. There's no control in that experiment. Um, so um, you just kind of have a cause and an effect, but that they may not be, you know, the, the effect may not be linked to the, the, the change you made. So um, the way that you would actually be able to go ahead and prove that is if you had like two sites that were the same, and one of them you made that change, and on the other one you kept it the same, and then you watched how uh, traffic went to site A versus site B. But of course that would be illegal against Google rules, so um, that you can't really do that kind of uh, controlled experiment. So um, it kind of drives me crazy that there's this sort of, it's in, in, the, uh, in the neuroscience lab, we called it lab lore, where <laughs> Some you somebody just kind of says, oh yeah, I did this thing, and then this happened, and then it just kind of like sticks around. Um, so uh, you know, I, I would say like also just kind of be very careful with um, who you get that advice from, or like where that advice comes from, because you know, how 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 do you know that this change actually um, you know helped your website in the long run? Yeah, and uh, Shelby knows that uh, when it comes to the SEO rumor mill. Um, I'm not a fan. Something that comes up often on the show, right? Yeah, definitely not. There are a lot of different crazy SEO conspiracy theories out there, and they're they're fun and entertaining to to read. But 
definitely not some advice that you should, you know, read and take to heart. The, uh, there was a gentleman, uh, he started uh, Moz a long time ago, his name is Rand Fishkin, he's no longer with the, with, the, with the business, but he'll still tweet stuff every now and then, and while I don't agree with everything that he puts out there, uh, one of the things he shared recently was um, that whenever Google makes changes, um, typically uh, the advice that's out there um, is from Google is that you should do nothing, right? And he said that's what 90% of the world should do is, is probably do nothing and continue to make great content or whatever it is that they're, they're working on and continue to make their site more effective. But then there are SEOs out there that will actually have lots of sites and will deep dive into potentially what had caused it. And he said, and sometimes they'll publish those findings. And he said, the problem is, is that those published findings are driving everyone's opinion about what should, should and should be done. And the truth is, is most people should probably do nothing. Right. And um, I think that's pretty accurate uh, because it is one of the things that I, I tend to kind of go towards with with most publishers, which is, you know, like they'll come and they'll say, well, so I've heard this and Google's never going to verify anything, right? They're never going to say, well, yes, this is exactly how it works, right? And so then you're really left with like, well, what data really does exist? And like you said, there, there's not a lot of like what you would ha have is like kind of like real good quote unquote clinical data. What you have is kind of like out in the wild sort of data. And depending on who's kind of like contextualized it, you could get all kinds of different um, cause and effects uh, that are listed. Yeah, yeah, you can't really um, do like a clean A-B test or anything with, with SEO. Like it's, um, the traffic's still coming from that same source, right? And pointing to the same destination. So you can't really like split that um, in a clean way. So it's it's very, um, it's all it's all lab lore. <laughs> and Google's always saying, oh, well, you know, we change our algorithm every day, every few minutes and, and whatnot. And I mean, they do confirm those core algorithm updates. I think the last one was in August. But even when they do confirm a new core update, they're like, just don't do anything. And publishers are still like, what do we need to do? And we've talked before about kind of the, you know, the the motivation that drives that is if you do lose traffic, you're trying to figure out like, what can I do? And I think, you know, a lot of it comes back to the fact that, you know, in the past, Google has issued penalties for things that you could have done wrong. Well, now, whenever there are penalties, like legitimate penalties for your site, Google will tell you if they're penalizing you through Search Console. And beyond that, it's really a matter of like, how is Google ranking content? And I think everyone is always trying to figure out exactly how that, that works. And in most cases, the stuff that I read seems really unsophisticated and, and infers that Google is almost a person that is like reading the website. And that, to me, that's my, what drives me crazy in digital publishing is, is people kind of like uh, personifying Google search as if it is like a, like a king sitting on top of a mountain saying, you will go down, you will go up type of thing. I wish I had that job. <laughs> that would be an easy job, I think. You would get lots of hate mail, but it would be it would not be hard. Um, so I mentioned that there was an article I wanted to get into a little bit, and I had sent this to you ahead of time. It was uh, on Digiday, and it was uh, set. The title of it is "Confessions of a Data Scientist," and um, the quote in there is "Marketers don't know what they're asking for." So this is from a data scientist on the marketer side of the fence. But I, I thought it was really interesting read because. Um, the, the article itself made it seem like, you know, and I've heard this from a lot from publishers where, um, you know, they want their own data science department or they want to hire a data scientist. Uh, they don't want to look at the data themselves. They, they think that it's over their head. 
Um, what's your take on this? If you're a if you're a smaller or medium sized publisher, um, do you need a data scientist, Greg? Uh, you know, we're, we're great. We're really great. Um, but I think, you know, th th he makes some good points, which is especially like on the, you know, on like a marketing side of things, like for an AB test, you don't need a PhD degree in, you know, astrophysics to say, okay, this increased revenue, you know, group A increased revenue group B did not. Um, so A is better than B. Um, so I think, you know, there's, um, definitely value in like looking in the data but I think you kind of need to understand like how challenging is this really how much what sort of resources do I have already on my team and are available and you know what would it cost and what would the benefit be of of bringing in you know this astrophysicist to come in and actually look over my data and so uh, Greg I'm gonna I'm probably gonna pump you up here I don't know if this is gonna be like a rhetorical question or not but how, how many if somebody hires a data scientist off the street how many of them can can do what you do right now right which is to kind of understand in context all, all the data and how it affects each other um, so well something that the guy touches on in the article is um, the that there are a lot of you know sort of like fake data scientists out there um, you know people who like to look at spreadsheets and like to sort of analyze data um, and analysts are are great um, but there is definitely some limitations in terms of the ability of um, really making sound statistical inferences from um, very complex and messy data sets um, if you know the goal is you know, I want help with the Google Analytics and, um, you know, I have data already organized in these spreadsheets and, you know, that that's something that like an analyst can absolutely help with and can actually like bring a lot of value to the organization. Um, if it's, I need advanced statistical models that can make sense of very low signal, um, high noise measurements, um, that that's something that um, you, there's, it's a it's a more challenging to find someone who's capable of doing that. And you mentioned analyst, meaning like a data analyst, which is usually something that's a little bit easier to find, and somebody that's probably good with numbers and, and experience with a spreadsheet, but not maybe somebody that can do Bayesian statistics or something like that. Yeah, I think that like a good example of this is like you know the the authors mentions, you know, you it's easy to type, um, you know, get someone to run a linear regression in R. Um, and, and that's true, like a lot of people can like take the average, you know, and plot like a linear regression. Um, but then if that, you know, is that a good model? And then there's assumptions of the linear regression model. And um, so a good question, if you're like thinking about, should I hire this data scientist or not, is just ask them like, okay, what are the assumptions of linear regression? And if um, their face kind of goes white, uh, then it's, uh, they're probably not the person for that job. And if they answer your question, uh, there's a really good chance that you won't know whether or not they <laughs> really answered it correctly or not, because Greg lost me at linear regression. I was going to say the same thing. I'm like, wow, I would have failed that question. So what are the assumptions of linear regression? They answer the question, you're just like, well, right, right. Um, okay, well then I guess you have the job. <laughs> <laughs> they said it on the podcast. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on, Greg, and um, this is something that has come up a lot. Uh, we recently were working on a study with some material like this, but um, the this idea of, you know, we talked about CPMs and EPMV and some of those metrics earlier, but I think one of the things that I, I find really fascinating is, you know, uh, ad operations professionals, um, I think in general, are... Uh, probably underrated and probably feel that way inside of their own organizations but I think in a lot of cases one of the things we keep learning is that you know the the way that 
the way that they're incentivized a lot of times is to focus on things like monthly yield or week over week yield and that um, this kind of short-term vision uh, is probably not a good way to a incentivize those types of people and then B um, it's really not a good way like term to really look at things like an ad rate or a CPM rate or something like that right so I guess how does that work so how, how do ads dilute their value over time like what how does this this whole system work I, I know we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast before but maybe straight from the horse's mouth yeah sure so you you have um, you know if you think of it like you have a budget to spend on ads there's if, 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 if there is one ad and everybody's competing for that one ad um, and they all have their monthly budget and there's only one impression that's ever going to get shown it's going to go for a very high price it's going to go for the maximum amount um, of budget that that one organization has um, so if you know I have um, you know five hundred dollars and Tyler has six hundred and Shelby has a thousand and there's one impression and it's up for auction Shelby's going to win it and it's going to go for you know whatever she's going to spend on it um, the more inventory that becomes available, then um, the lower and lower the prices go for those impressions. So um, this sort of scarcity um, drives up the prices. So um, when you put things on this like monthly cycle, what you'll see, and you can see it on the index, it's actually amazing, is like you can see the quarterly budgets of like ad ops groups of like ad buyers expiring like at the end of June, like June like surges, and then you'll see this drop off on July 1st. It's amazing um, because they're going, oh shoot, I still have this leftover money. And so now they all start competing again and bidding and bidding. And then that drives up the price for the same amount of inventory that's staying static. And that sticks by a rule that we talk about a lot in the show about marketers. And we try to educate publishers as much as we can, which is when it comes to a marketing budget, Shelby, what happens if you don't use it? You lose it if you don't use it. That's right. The best way to get more money as a marketer is to spend all the money you've got. So when the, when this is happening, Greg, and these kind of terms run out, so how, is a, is, is, how does that affect ad rates? How does that affect the inventory price? Yeah, so you'll see this, this spike at the end of like you know March, June, September, and then December. And then all of a sudden it'll drop 20%, just kind of like, it's seemingly out of nowhere to go, oh, why did my ad rates go down? It's like, well, that's because new budgets came in and then people are being kind of conservative and saying, okay, I can, I don't want to run out, you know, in with a month left in the quarter. So they, uh, everybody kind of like holds back a little bit and prices drop and then you'll see it slowly tick up um, throughout the quarter. So it's, it's, it's more of a balancing act than it is anything else. So I, you know, it's not one of those situations where I'm sure publishers can say, well, I'm just going to put one ad on my entire website and that ad's going to be worth a million dollars because of scarcity, right? But in the same token, you can't put as many ads as you could possibly put on a website because it's going to dilute the whole value. So somewhere in there is a happy medium um, of where you can set a historical value of the inventory um, and drive it up maybe over time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you put the more ads that you put on there, then you're decreasing the competition for that page view so as you're like driving down the value of all of your CPMs and then also like you're in you're increasing the competition between each ad for clicks so like your ads are basically like fighting amongst themselves for clicks so you're actually like decreasing the overall like click-through rate um, on those impressions of themselves so like everything is just like it's it's this you're you're fighting yourself um, and, you know, you're, you're sort of drowning yourself out in with um, with ads. And it's in the, that process is sort of a little bit like weight loss, right? So just because you go for a run today and eat a healthy diet doesn't necessarily mean at the end of the day you're going to weigh less. But um, over time, those behaviors may lead to weight loss, right? Totally, totally, yeah. 
And so uh, that's one of the things I always find fascinating is that, you know, a lot of times publishers, I think, we're used to seeing like, well, I threw another ad on this page and I made more money. Well, maybe for now, right? But over time, um, you may see actual total revenue go down. Um, well, Greg, this has been an awesome conversation. Is there anything else that you want to share with our visitors that we haven't got into already? No, I think we, I think we, we covered it. Yeah. Awesome. It's great being here. Well, thanks for joining us once again. Shelby, is there anything else we have for our listeners today? Um, no, that's all I have. But if you have any questions or anything, feel free to tweet us at Ezoic, and we'll make sure to relay those along and get those answered. Or if you have any other topics you want us to cover in future podcasts, you can also tweet us too. All right, and I think that's it. And we'll have some future announcements coming up soon on some uh, more events that we'll be a part of. So you can come out and uh, join us. If you have an opportunity, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those things are like gold for us, continues to help us grow the show. So thank you very much for joining us on The Publisher Lab.